from News Talk 580-1059 KMJ, this is the Matty Report, Valley Views Edition. Now here's your host, Mark Kepler. Does California suffer from a skills gap or an opportunity gap? Some think the systemic exclusion of diverse talent from access to education, economic security, quality jobs, and career mobility not only hurts California's economy, but it's tearing at California's social fabric. Our guest is Don Howard, the CEO of the James Irvine Foundation, that's working to help California's low-income workers, many of whom that reside in the San Joaquin Valley, have the opportunity to advance economically. We'll ask him about the structural changes that he thinks will be needed to create a more equitable economy, one that unlocks the potential of all of the state's workers. Funding for the Maddie Report is made possible by grants from The Wonderful Company, harvesting health and happiness around the world, California Emerging Technology Fund, and Fresno State, where bold begins. The Maddie Report is also made possible thanks to contributions from Era Energy LLC, BNSF Railway, E&J Gallo Winery, and Harris Ranch and Inn. Thank you. As well as the Bonner Family Foundation, Community Medical Centers, Dewey Square Group, Comcast Financial Agency, Nossiman LLP, Sagasser Watkins and Wheeland, and Valley Children's Hospital. From the State Capitol and the Maddie Institute, this is the Maddie Report with Executive Director of the Maddie Institute, Mark Kepler. Welcome. Nonprofits play an important role in enhancing the public's well-being. The James Irvine Foundation is one of California's leading philanthropies, and it's taken a special interest in the San Joaquin Valley. The question is why. Our guest is going to tell us. He is the president and CEO of the James Irvine Foundation, Don Howard. Welcome to the Matty Report. Well, thank you, Mark, for having me. Well, listen, you know, I'm sure our audience has heard of the James Irvine Foundation, frankly, who hasn't. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you guys do? Yeah, I'd be happy to. But first, I just have to say my heart is aching for California right now. I know the Creek Fire by you is causing tremendous devastation, and our coastline is covered with the fog and the soot and the smoke uh, coming from the fire. So it is a tremendously difficult time for the state. And we have a pandemic ravaging our communities, particularly our black and brown residents who are being disproportionately hit. And we have um, uh, you know, violence against black and brown men. We have social unrest in the streets. And I, I just feel like this is one of the most difficult periods our state has gone through in our history. And I take some optimism in the great work that's being done in places like in California. And from the leaders that we get to support at Irvine who are doing amazing work in those communities and more. But let me tell you just a word or two about Irvine. We're an independent foundation, which means we're not associated with any company or family at this point. And our focus is exclusively on California. We're 85 years old and our benefactor left what now adds up to about two and a half billion dollars to benefit the people of California. Our mission is to ensure uh, opportunity for all Californians and we have one goal, our goal is to ensure that every low-income California worker has the power to advance economically. And we're blessed and privileged to be able to give away about $105 million a year to do that. Yeah, I'm interesting. You know, recently your focus has really been on uh, ensuring low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Why do you think that's the, one of the most important issues facing California? Well, first and foremost, the economy is just not working for all Californians. For too long, the benefits of our growth have really accrued to just the wealthiest in our communities. 
the top of the income ladder. Wages for everybody else have been stagnant or even declined in some, in some segments. And the cost of living goes up day by day. Uh, Childcare, housing, driving the cost disproportionately, but it's just too hard to live in California, get ahead and move into the middle class. Frankly, the California dream is in peril. We recognize that. I don't think that's news to others who live in the state. And we need to rethink our economy. And there's a bunch of data that backs this up. So for instance, 2019, United Way did a survey and found that 3.8 million California families, 90% of which had a working adult in them, struggled to cover basic needs. In 2018, uh, California's top 10% of earners made 6.4 times the income of the bottom 20%, which saw wages decrease. Yeah, and housing, housing has a lot to do with, with poverty levels in California, the, the, the cost of housing. But, you know, I was going to ask you about some of the challenges and opportunities that are timing up. But I want to ask, let's just jump forward and talk about specifically some of the key initiatives that you're trying to, to address, to do, you're engaged in to address some of these issues. Yeah, well, we go about our work in these uh, initiatives, which are basically uh, specific grant making areas with clear outcome goals and a budget to make them happen. One that I can share with you is called Better Careers. We've made a $110 million investment over seven years to scale up the best workforce development programs in the state. These are programs that help low-wage workers build the skills to get a good job and then a better career. Um, our goal there is 25,000 low-wage workers in better jobs, and that's our baseline goal. And some of the grantees that we invest in in Inland California, you might know Bitwise and their Geekwise Academy. You might know State Center Community College District and their apprenticeship program or growth sector in their IT apprenticeships. But those give you some examples of our better careers. And when you say better wages, I mean, you're not talking minimum wage, you're talking something substantially higher. Yeah, we think about statewide a fair wage being somewhere getting on toward $20 an hour and then higher in communities with higher costs. But you gotta start with a good job. And one of our goals is that those jobs provide dignity, provide a chance to skill up, provide benefits, and a chance to really step up into a better career and into. You know, I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to tell you this, but but actually, as a graduate student at Wisconsin, um, I worked for a labor economics professor. I was his graduate assistant, and we were doing. I'm going to date myself here. We were doing a study on CETA, the Comprehensive oh, yeah. Training Act from the 70s, and, and they were looking at different programs to get people out of poverty. I remember, it sticks with me. This was you know, many years ago, um, a, a training program for uh, shoe repair people in Philadelphia that was very successful of getting people out of poverty. So it sounds like in some ways, this is the most current iteration of some of the programs that have occurred to kind of get people out of, out of, out of poverty into higher paying jobs. Yeah, without going into the lessons from CETA, which were actually quite interesting, right. the uh, kind of jobs now that are really great entry-level jobs, there's tons of skilled trade opportunities. And I have a lot of optimism, despite the horribly difficult time we're living through, that jobs in infrastructure, manufacturing, would be great entry level, uh, better career jobs for folks in California. Healthcare is in that category as well. There's tremendous healthcare jobs. We've got to find those sectors of the economy. We've got to help folks get into those jobs. It'll be good jobs after COVID. We're talking with Don Howard, the president and CEO of the James Irvine Foundation. Um, you know, when you were talking, I think I cut you off there. You were talking about some, some other uh, initiatives uh, that you're engaged in. Uh, why don't you go ahead and finish that thought? Yeah, well, I mentioned our Better Careers initiative. We have two others. Uh, we have a, an initiative called Fair Work, which is a $90 million investment over seven years to scale up worker centers that support and represent low-wage workers in different parts of the economy. An example there is the Warehouse Workers uh, Alliance in uh, Warehouse Workers Resource Center in the Inland Empire. Um, our third initiative, which I think will be really important to the 
listeners and watchers of this program is our Priority Communities Initiative. And we can go into a little more depth there. That's trying to support leaders and communities that want their economies to include everyone and prosper for all. Okay, so so we, we will talk about that in a moment, but I want to ask you about this thing. You know, you see this term used quite a bit, this term inclusive uh, uh, economies. What do you mean by that? Yeah, well, inclusive economies, and, and we've gotten this notion from the leaders and the community grassroots groups that we support, um, but you see it across the country. Inclusive economies provide opportunity for everybody to advance economically. They're built on the ideas and priorities from the community um, and uh, all of its residents. They eliminate racial disparities in economic opportunity, and they provide a level playing field where all workers have the chance to succeed, not just those with wealth. You know, it seems like when I was reading this stuff, it seems to me like, you know, you hear this, the digital divide, you hear about the achievement gap. This looks like an opportunity gap is really what you're talking about. Yeah, no, absolutely. And for too long, we've acted like there really is such a thing as a completely unfettered free market. In reality, markets um, have policies and, and uh, regulations and uh, investments that get made that create them. And we need to create economies in inland California that are uh, that those decisions are being made by the residents, not by folks. Well, frankly, it frankly recognizes what we all recognize, and that's we've said this for years, right? It's who you know. Um, and that also play, plays a role in some of this. Well, let me ask you, you're talking about this Priority uh, Communities Initiative. What's, what's that about? So we've set aside $135 million, and I was so pleased to see our board view this uh, in, in the context of the epidemic. We've been developing the idea in advance, but in March, we committed $135 million to five communities, uh, Fresno, Stockton, San Bernardino, Riverside, and Salinas. And there we're supporting the best leaders from the grassroots, and uh, those leaders from uh, civic organizations who wanna come together to set priorities for the economy such that the economy can provide everybody with the California dream, not just those with money. Yeah, I wanna also talk about the, you know, racial equity also seems to be a, a big part of your, well, you call it your North Star. Right. Um, why? Why is that considered, what do you consider that your North Star? Well, so we've set uh, a goal, which is a little unique as a foundation. We have one singular goal, ensuring that all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. But about 75% of low-income workers are, are, are workers of color. So almost by definition, our goal is focused on workers uh, of color. Um, and it's also true that those workers struggle mightily and more so than others. So one of our goals, and we're trying to do more even now, is to, to dedicate more resources to address those barriers that Black, Brown, Asian, Pacific Islander community members face when they're trying to get a job and step up and get to the California dream. You know, it's interesting. I've been in the, in the Valley for over 30 years, and I have to say, you, I, you see this growing momentum to kind of deal with some of these uh, systemic challenges um, that have faced historically, um, you know, these groups when it comes to economic uh, inequality. You know, is it just me uh, or are there more opportunities than in the past? Well, there's certainly a good deal of opportunity coming out of a crisis. You know, pre-crisis, pre-COVID, and the racial reckoning and the other crises that we're dealing with right now in the fires, there was a lot of growing momentum in communities to do things right by low-income workers. I think everybody, and I, I say this because I, I speak with a lot of wealthy individuals uh, about their philanthropy, but folks from all quarters are recognizing the economy wasn't working. It was stilted too much toward the wealthy and was leaving lots and lots of people behind. And that's just not, it's not good for economic success and it's also not good for our souls. So folks were already committed to doing better, but now with the crises, I think there's a moment where we can reset the economy in ways that can profoundly benefit those who've been left behind. Uh, we're talking with Don Howard, the president and CEO of the James Irvine Foundation. 
um, about their focus on ensuring low income workers are able to advance economically in California. So I know there's a lot of cross sector collaboration between the public, the private and nonprofit sectors. Um, why is that now more important than ever? Well, you know, residents and workers don't live in a single sector. They have a job with a private employer. They take advantage of public services. We all do roads and streets and bridges, as well as workforce services and nonprofits and community groups support them throughout their lives. So people don't live in isolation. And that's why we have to work together to make sure that economic opportunity comes about through collaboration. And we're seeing great examples of this. Uh, projects like what uh, is going on in Fresno called Drive have grassroots leaders, civic leaders, elected politicians and employers and philanthropy sitting around the table trying to make the economy in that community work for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and I think it, you see that more as, as a very successful model. I actually come to mind, I think, of, for example, UC Merced and the partnership that they've had in building their campus was a public private partnership. You're seeing more of that, which um, is a way to kind of get more use of out of more efficient and effective use of those those limited dollars that we have. Let me, tell, let me ask you about this. COVID-19 pandemic. Um, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been something. Um, and it, it seems to me that it really hasn't so much changed the needs that, that really, things that need to be addressed, but really highlighted the things that need to be addressed. Would you agree? Well, that and I think it's accelerated things. So it's highlighted for sure that there are job categories that are riskier jobs, lower paying jobs, folks who are forced to live more on the margins because of the nature of their work. And if essential work really means essential work, let's start paying those workers what they're due. Um, so I think it's made things like that more transparent. It's made racial disparities profoundly transparent. Health outcomes as well as the economic outcomes are far disproportionately skewed to workers of color and families of color. Um, I think it's accelerated some trends too. I think we're gonna see an acceleration of uh, some industries declining and some new ones taking shape. And so we've got to get ready for the post-COVID economy and make a new agreement about how that economy is going to work for everybody. You know, one part of this, though, is we've done some stuff on um, telehealth and distance learning. And if you think about, you know, what we're talking about here is the opportunity gap with low-wage workers. But it's also, the, like we talked about earlier, the achievement gap and the, the digital divide that if you want to access online education, but you're poor, you can't, you don't have to have a computer, you don't have broadband or telehealth or telework. Right. Um really impacting lower wage workers. Yeah, well, a lot of lower wage jobs can't be done from home. I think that's one of the disparities that has driven some of the health outcomes. But it's also true if you look past the epidemic, we're gonna to need to invest dramatically in infrastructure. And one category is ensuring that everybody has broadband and can participate in the new economy, which is going to be even more online. We also need infrastructure investments in a clean energy system and a reconfigured energy system that's safe doesn't sprout fires along the way. Those are gonna be great jobs and we need a lot of them. So those are a couple of the areas we're looking at for new job growth. You know, you're saying that, that, that some of your work is focusing, a lot of your work is focusing uh, here in, in the Valley. Can you give us some interesting examples, examples of some of this uh, cross-sector partnerships that are occurring here in the Valley? You mentioned yeah, well, Drive as one, for example. I mentioned Drive, yeah, that's been a flagship really. And it was uh, from the community by the community setting a new economic a development plan for the Fresno area. You mentioned UC Merced, there's a great project that's part of this, that's a food innovation corridor. There's another project trying to bring second offices for large California employers into inland California. And the list kind of goes on and on. But those are priorities that came from community conversations where the playing field was level and everybody had a chance to provide input. And I think that kind of solid basis is gonna to lead to the diverse economy of the future that gives everybody an opportunity to succeed. 
You know, it's interesting you say that because I was involved, uh, we have self-help transportation tax, they're called Measure mm -hmm. C. Uh, and back in, in the early 2000s, I was involved, involved with that. And one of, they had an executive committee and, a, and a other people from the community to come in to give their input. And the executive committee was, was, was primarily comprised of the traditional leaders of the community. And one of them was on a hot mic, didn't mm -hmm. realize it, and said, what are these people doing here? Mm -hmm. um, and that really, it, sent, it, it kind of was surprised me that they didn't want public input, frankly, uh, in, in the process. So this is this is a change, and it's been going on for some time. And it's not a surprise. The power has been held by folks who have money or who have access to folks who have money. And that's meant that the economy has worked for that segment, um, those folks who get to make the decisions. We have to make sure everyone's voices are heard. And if everyone has a chance to set those priorities, the economy can work for everybody. And it can address racial disparities in ways that are authentic and true that have been overlooked for far too long. So the goal here is to build an economy that benefits everyone. How do we ensure that California's low income workers in particular are able to advance economically? That's the question for our guest, President and CEO of the James Irvine Foundation, Don Howard. Um, so let's talk a little about the employer's role in this process mm -hmm. generally, and, and then small employers in particular. Yeah, well, employers are obviously uh, provide jobs to folks. They're critical for economic success. We've lost our way a bit here where there used to be this relationship with employers where you could count on longer uh, employment and benefits and, and upward mobility, but that's all changed. And I think high road employers in the state, which we're seeing a lot of, are realizing that reinvesting in their human capital and their talent has a great return on investment and it's great for their communities and ultimately for the market. Uh, so employers are thinking differently and I think that's something that's exciting. A lot of employers are small employers. In fact, some are quite small employers and are really micro businesses. And some of those have been hurt the hardest by the epidemic. 40% of black owned businesses in Fresno have had to close up shop since the epidemic. And then that is an opportunity. And uh, folks like the Fresno Metro Black Chamber of Commerce who are grantees of ours are working hard to make sure those employers can provide great new business opportunities, new job opportunities for their communities. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was doing a little research and I found those a study that showed that 20% of computer science grads are black, Latino, or Hispanic, but they only represent 10% of the tech workforce and only 2% of the venture uh, startup founders. Um, and they talk about systemic underinvestment, uh, et, et cetera. So some of these issues uh, happen throughout the economy, uh, obviously. So um, let me ask another question. In terms of um, some examples of programs or products that are trying to build the inclusive economy here in the Valley. What kind of examples can you give us? Well, you know, I think I mentioned the food innovation corridor that's coming out of drive as well as the second office project. There's also a whole investment in micro enterprises, speaking of small business owners that are part of the drive process. Um, it's also exciting to see Stockton, Modesto and that area beginning to come together to do their own inclusive economic development plan and to start setting some priorities that are sort of bottom up from the community um, for those parts of our state. The leadership of folks like Mayor Tubbs really is providing, I think, a great chance for that economy to reset as well. Yeah, and, and, we, and we, that's kind of looking at it from kind of a, a 30,000 foot level, but also when you get down specifically to employers, there are things that employers can do to help make sure that you know traditionally marginalized folks are, are in getting in that pathway to better paying jobs. Like they can have really good on the job training programs. They can have mentoring programs. I think that you know one of the things I've seen is some companies actually evaluate their executives on how well they mentor, you know, minorities and women. So those are all kinds of ways that employers can be involved in the process of building an inclusive economy. Yeah, we work with employers to help them 
uh, identify diverse talent for entry-level positions, and then think through the career pathways inside their corporations, and frankly, how they, those career pathways can connect to a next job in another, uh, in another business. Helping folks plan for their careers and investing in them is good for that time they're with you, but it's also good for their careers because if the economy is stronger, your business is stronger. And the economy is not going to be strong unless residents have uh, the resources to be participants in the economy. Yeah, you can't afford not to tap into that talent, right? You're, it's a disadvantage to you if you're not getting you know, the, the best people. Um, yeah. you know, Short-sighted um, employers are going to find that they're going to lose out compared to those that re-embrace investing in their talent. And that's only going to be true as the, as the labor market tightens. You know, the, the baby boom generation is retiring and, and you, know, you, need, you have to find people to replace them. And you've got, maybe you've got to look to places you haven't looked before. We're seeing employers in, in uh, entertainment right now in Southern California realizing that not only do they uh, do wrong by the community by not hiring diverse talent, their product aren't, products aren't as good. They now realize they need diverse talent in front of the, in front of the camera, behind the camera, on the sets to make the best product. Uh, for um, for sale. And so they're realizing it's a business imperative to think about equity and equitable hiring. Well, I, I want to end with something, but we've gone through a lot. Uh, 2020 has been an interesting year to say the least. Um, I want to end on a positive. You know, when you think about, you know, you heard that that phrase that, that crisis really represents two things, you know, danger and an opportunity. And you see what's all, you know, what's going on with the recent unrest um, and, and really the kind of the focus and attention on racial equality, the COVID pandemic and what that's all wrought. Is this really an opportunity for us to really change the way things happen in terms of the economy and in particular, the plight of the low wage worker? Absolutely. And frankly, this is what gets me out of bed on the worst days is knowing that this may be the chance that we've been waiting for to, to make some traumatic changes in how our economy works and what that compact is between employers and employees. Things that were incremental before uh, were incremental before. And now maybe we can take much bigger steps to reimagine our economy to work for everybody. Yeah, and we're, and we're talking here about systemic change. So we're talking about big things. So uh, anyway, I want to thank our guest, Don Howard, with the James Irvine Foundation for this very interesting conversation. Up next, Ashley Swearingen, the current CEO of the Central Valley Community Foundation and former two-term mayor of the city of Fresno, joins us. Welcome back to Valley Views. Thank you. It's good to be with you, Mark. So um, as former mayor of Fresno, you have a unique perspective when it comes to how the public sector might work with nonprofits like the Central Valley Community Foundation, what do you see as the challenges and opportunities uh, with cross-sector co collaboration? Well, I think first it's important to just take a step back and think about the communities and the region that, uh, of the Central Valley. And, you know, I think it's very, it's a very different answer to that question, depending on the region you're in. If you're in a wealthier region, for example, Bay Area, LA, other parts of the country, but here in the Central Valley, just given the long-term chronic economic distress that our region has experienced and the lack of economic diversification, um, like you know, there's just a layer of of um, of like lacking financial resource and and poverty and and high levels of unemployment, and so um, it is really incumbent upon government partners, local educational partners, to work alongside private sector, to work alongside nonprofits, to work alongside. Um, private philanthropic um, partners in order to to actually get things to move in this region. So, um, you know, I always talk about like the Valley's capital stack and what does it take financially uh, to, you know, what do we need poured into this region in order to see us have a different future than the past that we've experienced. And I always say it, man, it starts with public investment. We have to use our public dollars smart and well and effectively 
and in with a mindset of investment and trying to actually change things, not just manage symptoms. But then after that, you know, your philanthropic dollars should be coming in. Uh, and we need a lot more philanthropy from other parts of the state and nation pouring into this region, given the importance of, you know, the food sector and everything we offer to our, our, our country and our state. Uh, but anyway, philanthropic dollars feed in, impact dollars come in, and then ultimately private for-profit dollars. You know, like that's the whole sort of capital stack, and they all have to be working in the same direction. Well, let me ask you a question. You know, many, many years ago, when I first moved here in the, in the mid-'80s, um, I was on the United Way Board of Directors. And I, I recall them doing a, a survey, a study, about where the money was coming from. And what they found was the money wasn't coming from the wealthy people. It was coming from poorer people. Uh, is that still the case? When it comes to I, you know, I haven't seen any updated um, data on that, um, but I would just say uh, it wouldn't surprise me. And, um, you know, we see that whether it's in um, political causes or in other ways, we oftentimes see people who have the least to give are oftentimes the, the first people to make some kind of a donation or offer support. So, um, and I, and honestly, that Valley is a generous place. The people who live here care for one another um, there is a genuine concern for neighbor um, that all of us value and we don't, we never want to see, in fact, we want to foster that. Uh, but I certainly would call on, and this is a good opportunity and being the nonprofit fundraiser that I am, I would call on anybody that is hearing this to consider, um, to consider philanthropically supporting the cause of their choice, being involved and in giving back right now is a time that we need it in the Valley. Yeah, absolutely. You know, recently you announced uh, the Fresno Drive Initiative. That stands for Developing the Region's Inclusive and Vibrant Economy. Can you tell us in broad terms what this is all about and, and how it was developed? Yeah, so broad terms, we seek to break the back of chronic double-digit unemployment. We seek to increase incomes in the Valley, and we seek to make sure that our kids, our grandkids and great-grandkids have a different economy and different access to opportunity than our moms and dads and grandparents and great-grandparents and we in our generation experience. So it really is about transformative change of the Valley's economy. And the really big issue and thing that we run into when we evaluate what's going on in our current economy is um, based on Urban Institute data and a whole bunch of other statistics I won't bother to throw at you, but um, you can visit our website, fresnodrive.org, and you can see plenty of data that people of color in Fresno and in the Valley um, lack access to economic opportunity, more so in Fresno than any other large city in California, and almost the worst in the nation. So let me restate what the data tells us. It tells us that our economy overall is flat and chronically distressed in Fresno. So in other words, like a lot of people are, you know, they'd be making more money doing the same work if they lived in other regions. So we're, we see that across the board. But if you're a person of color, you are less likely to have access to economic opportunity here than any other large city in California. So it really speaks to and indicts, in my view, it indicts um, our systems and our infrastructure, our institutions, like what is going on um, that we're seeing data like this. So DRIVE is looking to peel that back to understand why is it that people of color experience the economy differently um, than, uh, than, non, than, than white people. Um, and we're trying to get to the bottom of it. Well, this is really more than uh, we talked with, with Dan Howard from, from the Irvine Foundation. This is more than a skills gap. This is really an opportunities gap. That's correct. And it's and and it's it's both right. It's given the long term um, systemic barriers that people of color have faced in Fresno and the Central Valley, um, the lack of access to educational op better educational opportunities, 
et cetera, it, it perpetuates into um, both a skills gap and an opportunities gap. So yeah. Uh, it's big and it's deep and it's scary. And you have to, I mean, we have to confront where we are right now as a community and how we got here so that we don't repeat these mistakes um, every single day as we go forward. So Drive is trying to deal with all that stuff. So it's a big challenge, needless to say. Well, let me ask you specifically uh, about uh, the Drive initiative. It's more than a plan. You're trying to have some clear, you have a clear and achievable roadmap to a more inclusive uh, economy. What are the specifics? Yeah. So the reason why I think it's fair to say that drive is the roadmap is because we came at this from a financial perspective, even though along the way, uh, along the drive, the drive drive, um, we encountered a lot of these structural issues that we're now slowing down to um, figure out how do we best address. But we started with just asking ourselves like, hey, is the issue money here? Like our our institutions don't have access to resources, our private businesses are undercapitalized. Like if it's just money, like, let's figure out, like, what, what is the gap? What do we need? And then figure out how to raise that money. And obviously, the community foundation, that's what we do. Is we think all the time about how do we properly financially resource things that are going to be impactful in our, in our communities. And so um, it produced literally a 255-page investment portfolio that covers 19 initiatives and calls for over $4 billion of investment in the greater Fresno, actually Fresno to Merced, kind of the central San Joaquin Valley region over the next 10 years. So when you think about just the practical nature of what, how much money do we need? How are we going to spend it? How do we know we're going to get results? Um, that's what creates that really practical roadmap. So, so $4 billion over 10 years? Correct. Um, yeah, you think about it, anything in the investment, for example, you know, if you're just looking specifically just at Fresno County, like with Measure C, that's a multi-billion dollar measure dealing with simply with transportation. So when you're talking, I know $4 billion sounds like a lot of money, but when you're talking about systemic change, I mean, really almost the cornerstone of what ails many of our problems in, in, in the region, it seems like it maybe would be a wise investment. That's exactly right. I mean, it, to be honest with you, Mark, if we're not talking about billions of dollars of additional investment in the Central Valley, given the deficits we experience and given the significance of the people and what we do here in this region to determining the future of California and therefore the future of the United States, if we're not talking about billions of dollars of investment here, then we're not serious about changing things, which is the same as saying you're kind of okay with the way things are. And I, for one, am not prepared to say that. You know what? I, that's a great way to end this conversation because that, that really is uh, your approach. I really appreciate the conversation, Ashley. Marianne Cannon is the CEO with the Stanislaus Community Foundation, a part of the Valley that is being increasingly impacted by both the Bay Area and Sacramento while still confronting many of the issues faced throughout the San Joaquin Valley. Welcome to Valley Views. Hi, thanks for having me. So uh, the James Irvine Foundation and other nonprofit leadership groups like California Forward are focusing on uh, the economic mobility of low-income workers. Do you think that that's one of the most important issues facing uh, the North San Joaquin Valley? And if so, why? Absolutely. I think it is the most important issue facing the North San Joaquin Valley and the entire Central Valley, actually. Um, what we know about communities that thrive is they are considering economic mobility and ways to advance the majority of their residents. And yet, traditionally, in communities like ours up and down the Central Valley, we um, have low-paying jobs, low-wage jobs. And we know that communities can't thrive until more and more people are earning more and more and able to sustain their families. So we see entrenched generational poverty 
And it looks different in the Central Valley because a lot of it isn't just rural poverty, it's suburban poverty. And when we say suburban means we're also in transition. We have a high number of commuters that are coming in and out of our communities, but not necessarily contributing to our, to our tax base or bottom line or you know, engage in our communities. We have a number of residents, you know, I, I cite the data often that 66% of the individuals that live in Stanislaus County that are below the poverty line work full time. I want to stop you for a second. I want to highlight that 66% are working full time, but live below the poverty line. Yes. So these are not, so when people say, you know, think of poverty, all oh, these people just aren't working. These right. are people that are working full time, yes. but still can't make it. Can't make it. And we're seeing that just further and further exacerbated by uh, the rise in rent costs and housing affordability. Uh, so you see it just further and further entrenched. And, and I will tell you too, you know, when we look at income mobility, what we're thinking about is how do you move people from the margins of our economy into the center of our economy? What are the on-ramps for job training? What are the entrepreneurial um, on-ramps to get people to start their own companies? What types of supports people need financially? What are the financial products that lead them into home ownership or car ownership and out of debt? And so those are the kind of things that you see community foundations. And I know you're talking to other, you know, Ashley in the Central Valley Community Foundation, Kristen at the current Community Foundation, that as place-based funders, we're thinking through how do we alleviate poverty in our communities given these larger forces at play? How do we help as philanthropy create jobs you know, um, create on-ramps, create training, bring leaders together around these larger issues, and then hold them accountable to the things they say they're going to do on behalf of our communities. Can you give some specific examples of the what the Stanislaus Community Foundation is doing? In that sure. Way? Yeah. So we have a leadership portfolio, Mark, that really spans three key areas. One is education. We have a cradle-to-career partnership that's really a systems change effort that looks at critical gateways children move through from birth all the way to a self-sustaining career. And so this cradle to career partnership is multi-sectorial. It's got higher ed, it's got K-12, it's got nonprofits, the faith-based community, the private sector and government all at the table. And they're looking at critical, critical gateways that start with kinder readiness and then third grade reading. So early literacy is the canary in the coal mine that leads to future academic success. They're looking at math achievement by eighth grade. Increasingly, our children have to compete at a global level around math, um, especially with the rise of technology. They're looking at high school completion with an eye towards either career or college, but that there's a plan, a path, and a purpose by the time every single Stanislaus County resident leaves high school. And then finally, we're looking at entering a self-sustaining career by age 26. So whatever that may look like, that children know what the on-ramps are to get them into self-sustaining careers. So that's our cradle to career work. That's an education. What we've begun to do- to that. I mean, I, I think you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I had read that it, like by third grade, you're going to know if someone is going to yeah. make it, frankly. Uh, I'm going to get through high school and graduate. And if you track that, you would, you would, if you track that, it actually starts much earlier because even in kindergarten, so in Stanislaus County, only 30% of kindergartners start kindergarten ready for kindergarten. And that number doesn't change. By third grade, guess what? Only 30% of, thir of third graders read at grade level. So, so it starts then. And when flip, you, when flip, you flip that, that, what's flip that? that statistic, 70% you're saying are not ready right. academically, 70%. Yeah. 70%, and that number's changing because we've been working on it for about five years now, it's now 60%. Right. So we're making a dent right. at the population right. level because of 
the interventions our partners have made. But but when a kid shows up on kindergarten, you can ask any kindergarten teacher, they will tell you which kids are going to go to college and which aren't. And here's how these kids show up, the ones that are ready. They know they follow two-step directions. They know their alphabet, their letters, their shapes, their colors, their numbers, their, you know, they can sit still for a few minutes. They can self-regulate. They are read to by their parents. So, so some of this is what happens outside the classroom impacts what happens inside the classroom academically. So our, our cradle to career, but but it's much easier, and this has always been our presupposition, that the hypothesis we hold is it's much easier to capture these kids at kindergarten and third grade than it is to remediate them right. at age 20. Not only is it much easier, it's much less expensive. Well, I think of it as a developer, right? A greenfield site versus a brownfield site. It's a heck of a lot easier to, to, to take care of new land and, and, and prep the community. Exactly. Uh, the community you want. So, so our cradle to career partnership takes a long-term systems lens view into preparing the future workforce of our communities. But then we began to ask ourselves, what if we're wildly successful, not what if, when we're wildly successful with a cradle to career partnership, where are those people gonna go and get jobs? And what we began to understand, like the, the, the data I quoted you, around 66% of individuals in Stanislaus County are working full time, but still live at the federal poverty level. We have an issue of quality jobs. It's not just the quantity, it's the quality for a whole host of reasons. But we, how do we not only attract better paying jobs and, and companies that, that hire, you know, a higher skilled workforce and prepare a skilled workforce, but how do we build from within? How do we create, like if you ask the majority of people in my community, which is a Syrian or the Latino community, they may not necessarily want to go out and work for a company. They want to start their own small business. Most of my aunts and uncles run car repair shops and uh, cosmetology places and hair salons and dry cleaners. They're highly entrepreneurial communities in Fresno and Stanislaus and Stockton and Kern. But how do you give them access to technical knowledge and mentoring support and you know, the, the skills needed to start and sustain your own business. So that's the kind of work that we're engaged in, um, in the second area of our leadership portfolio is this economic mobility. So we are- We've got, we got about 30 seconds left though. I just want to give you a heads up, 30 seconds left. So can you tell us what the third issue is? The third issue is civic engagement and, and leadership. And it's this idea of leadership, relationship, citizenship. These are the macro issues impacting our country right now and certainly communities like Stanislaus. Wow. Well, that was summed up very nicely. You covered a lot of ground, Marianne. I really appreciate Our next you guest is being here. Key nonprofit in the South Valley. Christian Beal Watson is the CEO of the Kern Community Foundation. Welcome to Valley Views. Thank you so much, Mark. Well, listen, the, the mission of the Kern Community Foundation is pretty simple. Growing community, growing philanthropy. Want to explain? Sure. So I think, uh, you know, this this mission has been around and was adopted in 2010. So it's 10 years old. And I think um, in 2010, it was taken at face value. Um, it was um, make the community, community a better place and philanthropy will um, follow. It was a little bit self-serving um, from my perspective. I think now 10 years later, it's taken on some um, different context. Um, we look at growing community um, in ways um, that speak to educational attainment. They speak to healthy communities. It speaks to vibrant economies. Um, it speaks to the landscape of the community that we live in. And we as a, a community foundation look at our role as how can we 
advocate for a regional agenda that lifts the community up? How can we attract and steward resources that allows for those agendas to um, move forward? And, and then how do we, um, how do we build and nurture the relationships, whether they're local, regional, statewide, national relationships that can support progress towards um, the vision that we have for Kern County? Um, our role, I think, at the Community Foundation and, and much like other community foundations in the Central Valley, you know, how do we set the table? How do we bring folks and conversation together to think about solving problems outside the box? We don't profess to be the experts, um, but I think we are looked at, at as neutral conveners um, that uh, allow us to, I like to think of lead from behind um, and really um, get people to think differently about solving problems. So that growing community piece is really what has changed. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, nonprofits sometimes forget to play such a crucial role in really building a great community. And you're, what I'm seeing, I've, I've been in the Valley for about 30 years, a little over 30 years. And really from, from my vantage point, the regional foundations are, are really um, having an impact. Um, they were there before, you know, a little bit sleepy in a way, you know, uh, it was like Mayberry, um, but it's completely different today. I mean, this is like what you'd see, frankly, in any major city um, is that extra added value added that really makes a community special. Um, and, and I see that happening up and down the valley and the current community foundation is a great example of happening in the South Valley. Let me ask you this. Um, we know we've been having a lot of discussion with the James Irvine Foundation, the other community foundations about creating a more inclusive economy generally and improving the economic mobility of low wage workers in particular. Um, has closing that opportunity gap been the focus of the current community foundation as well? Um, absolutely. Um, it, it's a it's a critical focus now, but I would say as, as long ago as, as six years ago, five years ago, when we really looked at educational attainment um, and, and identified that as a strategic initiative for the foundation, um, you know, for many foundations, educational attainment can mean, oh, we're gonna build our scholarship programs. Um, well, I can remember a conversation with the board saying, you know, scholarships are great, and yes, I'd love to have more of those resources at the foundation, but at the end of the day, the reality is scholarships are a tool. And when we look at the outcomes of our community, one in five of our residents live below the poverty line. Conversely, and I, I think the two metrics are, are interdependent, our educational attainment rates um, lag behind the state significantly. So when we look at even um, adults that have some level of post-secondary experience, the state average is about 39%. We're at 22% in current. So we need to think about, you know, how do we increase educational attainment so that we can, in fact, lower the number of folks that are living below the poverty line? And that's becoming increasingly important, you know, in our society. That really is an essential, right? I mean, my parents, high school degree was was fine. And there are a lot of, not to say there aren't a lot of very important trades and skills that's, that have to be in that. And the technical training is very, very important. But you also have to have a college educated, ready workforce. Um, that's a need throughout California, but a particular need in the Valley. Sure. Um, and, and the reality is that um, we simply can't expect for students to graduate from high school 
and enter the workforce and earn a living wage. There needs to be some plan for post-secondary education. Um, for some, that's a four-year degree, but for others, that might be a certificate program or a technical school, like you mentioned. And so we're just there, you know, um, to really think about how do we use scholarships as a tool to get kids into that educational pathway and, and, and complete it? And then also, how do we get our educational leaders are at the table to say, okay, let's let's look at the data, let's look at the information um, regarding our educational outcomes, and then let's try to figure out how we can remove the barriers and, and do things better. So that was five years ago, but now fast forward. And um, for the last, you know, five years ago, we didn't talk about inclusive economic development. It's only been um, in, in the vocabulary of philanthropy for, I would say, the last couple of years. And um, I'm happy to say that, that for the last maybe 18 months, um, the foundation has um, been leading from behind um, and um, is, is steadfast behind an initiative called A Better Bakersfield in Boundless Kern regional action for economic prosperity. That's a mouthful. So we've yeah. it to say B3K prosperity. And it truly is um, an inclusive economic development effort. You know, I got to tell you, you know, I, I came here many years ago uh, from Connecticut. That That's quite a change um, from, you know, Connecticut to Central California. Uh, and I will tell you, you know, from my perspective, it's still, still a new, we've only been here 30 some years. Uh, really impressed with what I'm seeing in Bakersfield. I mean, they're, I'm, I'm not really not just saying that. I'm very impressed with the stuff that you're you're doing, what they're doing at the university, the downtown. Um, you know, it's Bakersfield is is one of those things that's kind of a sleeping giant that the, the marketing they've done around, frankly, around country music, it's it's really kind of setting itself apart in many, in many good ways. Let me ask you this though, as we wrap up here, we've only got about a minute left. Um, so what do you see as the important issues that, that need to be addressed going forward? What are kind of the long-term challenges for Kern County that the foundation is going to try to address? Um, so I would say um, really thinking about strengthening what I like to call our civic capacity and infrastructure. How do we um, continue to foster this sense of collaboration um, and how, and not just at, at certain levels, but at every level of the community, the municipal level, the education level, um, the nonprofit level, how do we do that? Um, so that um, we can improve outcomes, but more importantly, we become a community that's investable in for outside funders. Uh, fantastic. Um, there's a great conversation with Kern uh, Community Foundation CEO, Christian Beal Watson. We also spoke with Central Valley Community Foundation CEO, Ashley Swearingen, and Stanislaus Community Foundation CEO, Miriam Kanan. Thanks so much for the conversation. If you want to stay current with state and local politics, you can log on to our website at maddieinstitute.org. This is Mark Kepler for The Matter Report. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed in The Matter Report are those of the individuals participating in the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the California Channel or The Maddie Institute. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the points and opinions expressed on The Matter Report, visit our website at maddieinstitute.org. The Maddie Report, Valley Views Edition, is a public affairs partnership between KMJ Radio, Cumulus Media, and the nonpartisan Maddie Institute, providing the Valley with valuable insight and analysis on politics and important public policy issues. This is KMJ.